Board Game Famous, the board gaming podcast that Rolling Stones describes as, what? Who are you? Stop calling us. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And we start our podcast, as always, with, hey, Michael, what you been playing? Well, I've played a few board games, as one does. Yesterday, I had a big board gaming day with a bunch of my friends. It was about 12 hours long. We played a bunch of different games. You played for 12 hours? We started at 11 a.m. and played to 15 minutes shy of 11 p.m. I'm sorry, it wasn't exactly 12 hours, <laughs> but the point stands. And, and and we took breaks for eating, so we were together for about 12 hours to play board games. So it was good. It's good. We try to get together and have big board gaming days every once in a while, which so was, uh, that was really nice. You know, we played a lot of games that I've played before, so it was super easy to just sit down, get started, and playing, you know. Oh, that's not, so nice. Not, we we played only one game, where which was new to most of us, which I'll talk about in a bit. But we played Trade on the Tigress. One of my friends suggested it because the first time he seriously sat down and played board games with us about three and a half years ago... Uh, we played that with him, and he had an awful time playing it, <laughs> so he he wanted to revisit it. You know, Trade on the Tigris it has a trade phase where everyone's shouting across the table, trying to sell goods, trying to sell their goats, and all that kind of stuff. And I guess the convention center where we were playing was too loud, and it was hard for him to make trades and all that kind of stuff. But we played it at my friend's house, and uh, the friend who hated it actually enjoyed it. He, I guess he found those conditions a lot better. I think about three years is long enough for me to forget a bad experience, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was a combination of it have, being long enough for him to forget and the situation being a lot better. Uh, so he enjoyed it a lot more. Um, he actually likes the game now. <laughs> <laughs> so th that was good. We, as a group, revisited my favorite game that we haven't played as a group in a while, which is Scythe from Stonemaier. Long-time listeners will know that I listed that as one of my favorite games. I messed up because in a lot of Stonemeyer games, it's a race to place so many stars. And I placed my last star before anyone else did, but that's not how you win the game. <laughs> that just ends the game. It just ends the game. <laughs> and I was... <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't win uh, because in Scythe, money is points, and I didn't have a lot of money <laughs> when I ended the game. Uh, <laughs> I've I've done that. I've fallen into that trap before. <laughs> Did I have fun? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had a great time. <laughs> Played Red Rising, another Stonemeyer game. Uh, I've talked about that recently, so won't necessarily go into it. We kept playing the crew because we haven't completed the crew yet. <laughs> oh, what level? How far are you? We just got past mission 17. Uh, so not far at all, because there's like 50 <laughs> missions. <laughs> we play about three to five at a time, so... <laughs> In, in between other games. What else did we play? Oh, yeah, we played Between Two Cities, another Stonemeyer game. A lot of, a lot of Stonemeyer. A, a lot of, of Stonemeyer games. It helps that they uh, make great games. A nice tile placement cooperative game where you have two teammates. You're building two different cities with two different people. That's the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. And your final score is the score of your worst city. Because mm -hmm. so, you're, you're building cooperatively with your neighbors. Yes, you're building cooperatively. You're building two cities with two different people, your neighbors, and your final score is the worst city. <laughs> it's the score <laughs> of the worst city. So that's 
That's nice. But the one that I want to talk about the most was Suburbia, a game that's new to me, designed by Ted Elsbach. That is a, you know, a city building economic game where you are building a town slash suburbia. You know, it's tile placement. So you have a tile market that you buy from and you're trying to build up a city that increases your population because population is victory points. And so you're trying to build up your city, but the bigger your city gets, the more expensive your city gets. So you place down tiles to increase your income or increase the attractiveness of your city. Like parks increase the attractiveness. You can do like kind of certain development kind of tiles and it builds and it accelerates forward and forward and forward faster and faster and faster. And it's, it's kind of nice because, you know, it starts off slower and as your city gets bigger and bigger you get more and more people coming to move in there's public goals that everyone's working towards that are a big impact for deciding the game or could be a big impact the winner of our game ran away with it he had a great (laughs) engine going was this the person who had played the most no it was uh it was their first time (laughs) Uh, (laughs) he ran away with it He he built a great engine uh, with the community that he had, he did like a housing-based strategy where it was trying to develop the most nice housing so that has good income and gets more people coming in and over and over and over again. He just shot up the population board. Uh, <laughs> so I uh, I ended up coming in second place just because of of the goals. <laughs> but I think I, I finished a good ways behind first place. <laughs> good ways... Good ways behind first place. It was interesting because there are different strategies based on the different tiles for this kind of game. And it's mixed up, so you don't know when it's going to come out. And But you do know that as time goes on, the tiles will get better and better and more valuable and more valuable. So it has a nice pacing for the tiles that come out initially are cheaper and not as good and so on and so forth. So I think mm-hmm. that part is well designed. That's good. I have yet to have a chance to play it, but it, it's on my list. Yeah, I, I, I definitely recommend it. Well, you recommend it, and I say it's on my list, but it's a, it's an ever-growing, never-ending list that's <laughs> just... You can't play everything. <laughs> I mean, I, I figured your list would just be play all board games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's on that list. <laughs> yep, just going to go down to BGG, download the list of board games, and cross them off one at a time. <laughs> Speaking of crossing off, uh, crossing off games, that's one of my goals for this year is play every game in my collection. So I did, I did that today, actually. I downloaded my collection off of BGG, down it, downloaded it to a CSV file, threw it, on a, threw it on a Google Sheet, and I marked off all the games I've played this so far this year. Uh, at time of recording, it's only January 3rd, but I've gotten three different games played before then, so... Oh, nice. Three games for three days. One of my friends who was at the board gaming thing yesterday, he had the 10x10 for 2021, and he was able to complete it. I oh, think yeah, he, he got 10 plays of yeah, Viceroy in? He got 10 plays of Viceroy in, in like three weeks. So <laughs> <laughs> he has already reset it for 2022. They have him and his roommate each picked five games they haven't gotten any completions by january 2nd but (laughs) (laughs) but uh i wish both of them good luck and please don't procrastinate until december again (laughs) you are allowed to play games at other times of the year (laughs) 
but yeah, they were able to complete their 10 by 10. I think they sent a picture on New Year's Eve of their completed 10 by 10 board. <laughs> Fun. So, yeah. <laughs> so David, what have you been playing? Well, I just mentioned that it was uh, January 3rd. So at at time of recording, um, what lately what I've been playing is all the games that I got for Christmas. I'm I'm pretty easy to shop for for Christmas. Either get me board games or board game accessories. But check with your wife first to make sure you don't already own the board game. Or you check on my BGG account. I keep it fairly up to date. I don't know your BGG account, even though you keep sending me the comics. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you could guess my uh, BGG username. I, I bet I could guess. <laughs> Since Christmas, I've played every game that I've gotten more than once, which has been The Red Cathedral. How'd you like that one? Oh, that one. I'm going to save that one for a future update because it might, sh- might shoot up to my top 10 really quickly. Yeah, because that was the one board game that we didn't get to play while you were in town for Christmas. It is a mid-weight Euro game that is clever, compact, and right up my alley. So I'm going to wait wait for a few more plays just before I start gushing about that one. I also got to play Furnace a few times. You actually got to play that one with me, and that was a, an interesting bidding game where you bid on things that you may not necessarily want to win because you get compensated. The game loves to throw resources at you for your engine, and it's just a pure engine-building game, and I I found it a lot of fun. It's four rounds. There's a market with eight cards if you're playing with four people or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There's the game is four rounds, and you bid on cards, and if you win the card, you get something that adds to your engine. If you don't win the card, you get an instant bonus. And sometimes the bonus is better than the engine component. But sometimes you'll bid on the card and win it even though you didn't want it. (laughs) No no one will outbid you. So you're like, oh man. Because the kicker is the higher the value of your coin of when you don't win is the bigger the instant bonus is. There's nothing more satisfying than somebody bidding on a card that you don't want and then you getting to plop down your the second highest value to score mm-hmm. to score the incentive three times instead of four. Yeah, Absolutely. So that, that was a lot of fun. I also got to play... Ellen got me two games. Uh, I've been really looking into cooperative games lately because that's what uh, Ellen likes to play. So she got me Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. We just started that campaign. It's, it's just more Gloomhaven. It's billed as a starting off point for Gloomhaven. It's a low air barrier to entry, so it's like price point wise, so it's a lot cheaper. And it introduces the mechanics over the first few scenarios, so it's really easy to get into. It teaches the game as you play, which it's not something Ellen and I needed because we've both played Gloomhaven, but just as a product itself, it's a really good piece of product to introduce so, people into the world of Gloomhaven. So even though. You have played Gloomhaven, both you and Ellen. You still found it a lot of fun and well-designed. Yes. yes, and we're not even done with the intro scenarios to introduce all the mechanics. It's still the same, still the same Gloomhaven, different characters, so we knew we were going to like it. Actually, I had almost purchased it so many times after Ellen had already bought it for me for Christmas. She told me if I had asked about it one more time, she was going to say, look, I got it for you for Christmas. Don't <laughs> buy it. <laughs> it's hiding at my parents' house. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was really funny uh, when she told me. <laughs> and that's why I don't buy. Tip, that's why I typically don't buy board games for myself between the month of, uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. I typically don't buy 
board games for myself at that point. <laughs> or if I do, I announce it to the family <laughs> that I have purchased this board game. <laughs> and then the, the final game I've been playing a lot. This one's actually the one I've been playing the most and the one I want to talk about the most is the Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. It's a cooperative deck building game. You quote unquote play through the books of Harry Potter. And I say that because this is a fairly good deck builder that they slapped the Harry Potter theme on top of. I don't really care for theme. I'm not that big into theme. I'll play whatever. It doesn't matter as long as the mechanics are good. The mechanics are really good. They're pretty good here. And they just definitely coated it with Harry Potter paint. So it doesn't always make sense. And by that I mean, oh, for book one, you fight the villains, which are Draco Malfoy, Crab and Goyle, and Quirrell. For book two, you just add the villains. So you're still fighting Draco, Crab, and then Quirrell's there in book two, but you're also fighting the Basilisk and Tom Riddle. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> and, and, and book three, gang's all here, and just add more. And each time you're just adding these villains. Another thing that is really funny about the game is it's a licensed IP game. So sometimes when a game has a licensed IP, they still do their own artwork. Like Dune Imperium, they do their own artwork, but it's all based off of the new Dune movie, so the characters are recognizable, but it's new art. In this Harry Potter game, it's photos from the movies. So I mentioned in book one, you fight Crab Goyle, and but you also fight Draco. Your characters are movie one Harry, Ron, Hermione, fighting movie six draco he just looks like he's a a teenager (laughs) like a grown man beating up these little kids the most important question i have to ask you is can you cast flipendo that gets cast on you you can't cast it (laughs) it's a bad card that gets flipped over flipendo (laughs) for the listeners for those of you who don't know Every single Harry Potter game, so I have been told. Video game. Video, video game. Every single Harry Potter video game since, um, what's the first one? The Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone, depending on where you're at. Yeah. Shout out to our international listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Every single Harry Potter video game, you can use a spell that doesn't show up in the books, doesn't show up in the movies. Which is Flipendo. <laughs> and in the very first Harry Potter game, you yell it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was very formative in our childhood. <laughs> Flipendo! <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is like in, in these games, there's always currencies of some sort. It's just money to buy new cards in this. But to make it like thematically make sense, you're casting a spell to make money. And that spell is a Lohamora which is the unlock spell. So every time I play it, all I think I'm doing is robbing somebody. I'm unlocking their doors. I'm unlocking their safe, stealing their money. Feels like a video game to me. Uh, <laughs> I've given this game a lot of garbage for its uh, the theme not working really well. I think it's hysterical. And I'm Ellen and I are a huge fan of Harry Potter themes. Uh, are you having a good time? Are, oh, are you yeah. having a good time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a, yeah. a portion of it is just laughing along with the theme not making any sense as we play but i want to talk about this is kind of like i want to give this some praise like i did for gloomhaven jaws of the lion this is a good product to start with deck building i think it's a good jumping off point one it's cooperative so you're going to be helping each other out uh book one 
I was a little bit nervous that it was going to be too simple for me just because the book one cards that you play with aren't that they're not that interesting. They're not that in depth, but it really introduces you to a deck building mechanic as a mechanic. And then as you get to book two, book three, book four, you're adding more cards that you can buy from. That's when it's, you start seeing more mechanics being introduced in the deck and you're like, okay, this is a really good deck builder. And it introduces all these mechanisms slowly each game. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like uh, two different kinds of games, but uh, Suburbia, this Harry Potter game you're talking about. Well, what's the official title for it? Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. Battle for Hogwarts, something like that. And it's <laughs> Hogwarts Battle, it's Hogwarts Battle. Uh, that's something you know that we've been talking about. Jaws of the Lion, Hogwarts Battle, uh, Suburbia. Pacing. Board game pacing. And we, we could probably even have an entire discussion about it. What board games have good pacing? What board games have terrible pacing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's always nice uh, playing a game that has good pacing, whether or not it's pacing within a single session or over multiple sessions. Mm-hmm. I just can't wait till I get to the last game, book seven, fighting three different versions of Voldemort. <laughs> you got the Basilisk, you got Quirrell, you got... <laughs> you got uh just just about every villain there it's it's oh. gonna be good i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> and you're still a child <laughs> <laughs> our next section is road to the 100 where we play the bgg top 100 games as of august 21th 2018 and why'd you say it like that david because that's how my poster says it (laughs) (laughs) it's a great gift it may have a typo (laughs) (laughs) it's an excellent gift (laughs) now david you previously talked about this board game so i'm glad that i finally got the chance to play it and this game is russian railroads designed by designed by helmet oli and lonnie orgler you previously played this with one of our brothers. I hear you guys both enjoyed it. I got the chance to play this online on Board Game Arena with a couple of my friends. We all had been wanting to play it before. One of them had played it before, uh, but that was years ago. And it was only one time. So we all got on finally finding a night that worked for all of us. And we were able to play it's a worker placement point salad style game, so you're placing workers on a board to take actions. You're building up these railroad systems in Russia from west to east. And as you develop these railroad tracks, it makes your economy better and better, and you can take other actions to improve the industries. And there's a lot of things going on your own personal board. Each round you score more and more and more and more points and it just accelerates by accelerates i mean i got my butt handed to me because (laughs) you didn't you didn't accelerate fast enough i didn't accelerate fast enough uh one of my uh one of my friends built a much better engine than i (laughs) he was i thought i was being very strategic with my worker placements as you have to be in worker placements typically The thing I like about worker placements is vying for particular spots at the right time Mm -hmm. to get specific actions to build your engine and all that. You know, there's this board where everyone's putting their workers down, but then you have your own personal board, which is more or less where the engine is happening and the actions you take affect that engine. I get it. Train (laughs) engine. 
Train engine. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this is a literal engine builder. <laughs> yes. And I'm a conductor. <laughs> choo choo. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I was taking very good worker placement actions. I thought my timing was good. I thought the engine I was building was good. And then I just stalled out like three rounds left. And my friend just, just raced <laughs> right past me. And oh man, by the end of it, kicked our butt. It was. <laughs> but I had a great time. That is that is one of those games that uh, now that we've both played separately, that we need to get together and play together. Oh, for sure. What I liked about this game was even though there were times when Nate, the brother I was playing against, took spots that I wanted, there was always something great to do in the game. You want to do everything, but you just can't. So you have to pick which ones you want to do. And then you yeah. use the you use the phrase point salad. Uh, for those of you who may not know, that just means it's a game that you score points for just about everything you do. You sneeze, you get ten points. You you place that's your point. That's a lot of points. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not that many. I think our scores were in the three hundreds. Nate and I yeah. when we played, it's you're over the course of just a few rounds, you're earning hundreds of points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's and that's where I was saying that by I was earning good points and I was in the lead or near the lead and then I just stalled out and was not getting nearly as many points as as my friend towards the end of the game but it it just feels really nice it has really good to coin the term game feel it has very good game feel Oh I'm so. pretty sure I I coined the term game feel didn't I no, no, I, I think I came up with it. I'm pretty sure I. I'm pretty sure I said game feel. First. Uh, game ga- uh, game feel trademark 2022. <laughs> 2021. Michael DeVos. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because I like point salad style games. The constant gratification of your number getting bigger mm-hmm. and getting bigger faster. <laughs> that uh, your the number of victory points just going up and up and up. Maybe that's the kind of game feel that I like. At least one of them that I do. So maybe. <laughs> I mean, a big portion of game design is like how it affects the psychology of your players. Yeah. And just play your players like a fiddle. It has a lot of mechanics I like. It has engine building. It has worker placement. It has point salad. So yeah, definitely deserves being the top 100. And uh, I like it a lot. I agree. On to our next segment. Game of the Fortnite, the game that we think needs to be recognized and held above all others, at least for the next two weeks. In this Fortnite, we are talking about High Society, designed by Reiner Knizia and published by Osprey Games. Michael, you brought this game to our parents' house over Christmas, and that was my first time I got to play High Society, because I I asked you to bring it, because I've heard amazing things about this small little bidding card game where everybody gets a hand of money cards. And over the course of the game, we're flipping over pieces of art that players are bidding on. The trick of this game is each each card is a unique denomination of money, and you never get change. And once you play that card, you never get that card back. You're trying to balance your low and your high cost cards to bid on the correct pieces of art. But the final kicker is in, in classic Kinesia style, there's a twist. And this twist is whoever has the least amount of money left at the end of the game is automatically eliminated from winning the game. 
which is just really clever. So you're, you're constantly wanting to bid higher to win the high-cost cards. But if you bid too much money over the course of the game, you just outright lose. That is, I think, one of the twists of the game that I really like. The other twist of the game that I like is, well, you have pieces of artwork of value 1 to 10 that you're bidding on. And you have sometimes two multipliers that are going to be up for grabs that multiplies the value of all your artworks by two. But there are bad cards that might come up. So for the good cards, the bidding process works normal. Whoever bids the most after everyone passes, they get the artwork. But for the bad cards, it's the first person to pass who gets that. And those bad cards are the value of all your artworks might be worth half. It might be minus five. It might be losing artwork. It's just, and so, <laughs> and you don't know when that's going to come up. And so you, you might be shuffling for like a, a seven value, which is really pretty good. It's pretty good. A seven value artwork. And you spend a lot of your money and then a negative card comes up and you're not in a good position to pass, but you can, you can put some money out. <laughs> you can put some money out knowing that you're going to lose that money. It's, it's got some nice positioning, and you're not not exactly sure how it's going to come, so there's a lot of spontaneity of, oh, this is good, but oh no, look what just came up, and passing up good opportunities and passing up bad opportunities, and trying to trying to remember, it's like, oh, did Andrew, did Andrew already use his 25,000 franc money card? Uh, oh, man, I, I'm running low on money. I don't want to be eliminated. It, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Auction-style games are not my strong suit. I've never I've never been very good at auction games. I liked this one because it was very approachable. Even our mom got a chance to sit down and play it with us and she understood exactly what was going on. Though she was she had some questionable bidding choices. She just wanted to bid on the uh pieces of artwork she liked the best, not really the uh, most points. I, to the listeners out there, I own the second edition of High Society, not the first edition. The artwork is so good. It's got a gorgeous Art Nouveau style. Because the theming is you are in, like, uh, 1920s France uh, bidding on artworks cause as extravagant people living in that time. Mm-hmm. I played this game first probably about three years ago. I was at my local board game store. I saw some people that I knew, but I don't typically play with. I had some time, and they're like, oh, hey, you want to play this, this one game? I'm like, yeah, sure. How do you play? I sat down with this group of guys. They taught me real quick. We played. I thought it was hilarious. Had a great time. <laughs> I did not spend the most money, but I was close by a couple francs, a couple thousand francs, <laughs> which is a very slim margin. That's exactly we, where you. That's exactly where you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> exactly where you want to be. I didn't win the game, but <laughs> I didn't spend the most. Uh, <laughs> you said you said you didn't win the game. I was talking about how I'm not good at auction games. The first time we played this as a family, I scored zero points. The second time we played, I spent the most money and scored did not finish. <laughs> and, and, and that's the whole thing. The night that we played as a family, we played multiple times. It's a quick game. You can teach it quick. You can play it quick. The first round can be a teaching round. And then you can play multiple rounds. I find it pretty fun. There are lots of hilarious moments throughout the entire game, and with the added benefit of the hilarious moment of seeing who spent the most money, 
<laughs> that, that's always always funny to figure out who's the poorest by the end of the game. <laughs> <laughs> I was so mad when I got the uh, I was the poorest of the game because I kept like twice the amount of money that that was the least money left from the first game. <laughs> and I still was like, oh, you spent the most. What? <laughs> yeah, and because of the randomness of when different artworks or negative cards are going to come out, you don't necessarily know what is a good amount to have at the end of the game because it will have a different feel throughout throughout the entire thing. So yeah. do you give High Society, the board game famous Gold Star... As much as I love the game, I'm going to have to say no. Inch, that surprises me. I thought you were going to say yes, and I thought I was going to be the only person that says no. No, I love the game. I bring it to board game nights. It is a game that I love that I don't think deserves a gold star, if that's if that feels weird. <laughs> <laughs> because there are good, in all media, there are good things that you don't, that don't necessarily deserve greatness, and that's fine. Right. And so this is definitely one worth checking out, but we are yes. not awarding the gold star to. I'm not saying of all the auction games that you need to run out and get this one. It's a great way that, to put it. If this is one in your collection, it's a good one to have in your collection. But I don't think it's the one that you must have. How about you? No, I already, already... said. I, I already said I I'm not going to give it the the, the gold star. Yeah. Just same same reason that you said. I'm still waiting to find my gold standard of auction games. Uh, I'm wondering if it's going to be Furnace. I'm having a great time with that one. I haven't played it enough to tell yet, but... Have you played Modern Art? I haven't played Modern Art. I have played surprisingly few Reiner Knizia games. Might want to check out Modern Art. That's another well-known auction game, so... Mm -hmm. By Reiner Knizia. <laughs> Designer of High Society. Published by Osprey Games. <laughs> 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 And this next section is Brother Talk. What are we talking about this fortnight, David? <laughs> this fortnight, I'd like to talk about board games with a gimmick. Something that's on the table that uh, pulls you in. It's an interesting twist to the series or something that a, a game with a hook. And I want to talk about the positives and negatives of this. Usually a gimmick might come with table presence. Uh, some imposing piece that draws in the eyes when we were discussing this before we started recording michael brought up uh you brought up fireball island which is a giant plastic mold of a game with the head of volcar the volcano in the middle of the board and it's just this this giant plastic toy essentially that sits in the middle of the table as you play uh shouting at you I think the original version shots at you. I don't know if the, the reprint does. I've only played the reprint a couple of times. Um, yeah, I could, can't remember. I think that game and Mousetrap are those classic ones that just have... They have, <laughs> they have, have, that, have that table presence. <laughs> they have that toy factor. <laughs> that really... they, have that toy, they have that toy factor of why you find board games in the toy <laughs> section at Target. I think, I think a gimmick can be good because it draws you in, gives you something interesting... And then I think a successful gimmick becomes a new genre of games. For example, I love to talk about Dominion. When it came out, it was a gimmick. It was the only game of its kind. Now you can't go into a board game store and swing a cat without hitting a, uh, without hitting a deck builder. And that's all thanks it, to Dominion. 
please don't swing a cat in your local board game store. Well, isn't the phrase swing a dead cat? At least my cat's alive. I don't know if that's better. <laughs> Are you swinging the cat kind of like uh, Leo swings Rose in uh, the Titanic? So, <laughs> so a successful gimmick becomes a new genre of games. I think Pandemic Legacy, or maybe even Risk Legacy, the one, the one before it, was considered a gimmick. It was... And the gimmick for legacy games are games that you play and then permanently change the board or the game pieces that alter future games. And that was a gimmick and arguably still is a gimmick, but it is a successful board game category now. It seems what like a- every every game has a legacy version coming out nowadays. One of my favorite gimmicks... And I'm going to describe it like that right now. And this is a story that is over 20 years old. And it will sound funny to us. I was watching the Twilight Imperium documentary about, you know, we're on Twilight Imperium 4th edition. So it was talking about how Twilight Imperium came to be. And they were excited about Twilight Imperium and they were bringing it to the board game con to show it off. And do you know what game was there? that they thought was visually similar to theirs. Yes, I do, because I've also seen the documentary. (laughs) It was Settlers of Catan. They thought their gimmick of hex tiles interlocked together was too (laughs) similar to Settlers of Catan. (laughs) And they're like, oh no, not another hex tile game (laughs) at this board game con. And it's hilarious to think now, nowadays that that back in the 90s that they were they were viewing that as the same gimmick <laughs> for these two diametrically opposed board games now and board game <laughs> i i personally love gimmick games one of my recent favorites is got to be micro macro crime city where the gimmick of that is it's just a giant where's waldo map where it asks you to to deduce and use logic to solve these crimes on this Where's Waldo map. And it works way better than I thought it was ever going to. And honestly, I think the second one is even better because they just, they took all their lessons learned, they're applying it to this one, and it's just, it's just better. This, this topic came to me really because I also wanted to talk about one other game. And, and this has the negative side of gimmicks. Uh, sometimes if a gimmick isn't strong enough or it's not implemented well enough, you play the game, you have fun, but it's kind of a one and done scenario. You see the game, you go, oh, I get what this game is about. I don't need to play this again. But that was interesting. That was fun. And for me, that game has got to be the Great Dinosaur Rush. I played this game a few years ago. And I've never forgotten it. It's not highly ranked on BGG. It's not, it's, it's not in a ton of people's collections. It's not greatly talked about. But the gimmick that this game has is you are collecting these little wooden rods that kind of look like the road pieces from Settlers of Catan. And the game tells you these are dinosaur bones. The color tells you what type of dinosaur bone it is. Then... After you collect a bunch of dinosaur bones, behind your sheet, you physically lay them out to build the skeleton of the dinosaur that you uncovered. And 
you're trying to discover the dinosaurs that meet certain scoring requirements, like longest neck, tallest dinosaur, longest tail, most feathers, things like that. And because you're building them, you can just collect a bunch of feathers and stick them all over your dinosaur and make a make just really a giant fluffy bird. That gimmick worked so well one time, where it's just, I get what this is about, the reveal has happened, but in that one gameplay, it was perfect. So I don't want to buy it and ruin my vision of this gimmick. Because I will never forget when we had the, it was, somebody had, like, it was like most teeth and the tallest dinosaur. Somebody built a dinosaur that was just a head on two giant legs with just an orthodontist nightmare. <laughs> you get to build these, your, like, your own silly creations. And it was so funny. And it was just so pure in that moment. But I've seen the game. I know what it's about now. I don't need to go back to it. Yeah, there there are several games with a gimmick that I don't necessarily feel super strongly about playing again. Tokyo Highway. It was fun. You're building you're building a uh, huge sprawling highway network. So each players are building a highway system in and in around all other players. And that was an interesting gimmick. I just. I didn't think it was as strategic as I might have wanted it to be, uh, but it was it was fun. A lot of people came over and asked us questions about it because, you know, it is very visually stunning of people building with planks and uh, tower pieces, building this complicated spaghetti mess on a is, table. Is that the game with tweezers? <laughs> yes, you have tweezers to place your pieces because if you knock someone, uh, there's a penalty for knocking over components of someone else's highway. Yeah. I know some people have enjoyed it. I don't have a big feeling to play Two Rooms in a Boom again. It was fine. But, you know, social deduction, party game, there's two rooms, there's a president and a bomb. One team is trying to keep the president away from the bomb, and the other team is trying to get the president to be in the same room as the bomb. But you're not really sure who the president is and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so... Uh, it was fun playing at a convention. I don't know. I have a huge desire to play it again. One game that I do want to play play again to figure out how I feel about it. Another party game in that same kind of vein is Don't Get Got. I played that over New Year's Eve. That is where everyone has a secret object has a list of secret objectives in there, and I think you have six secret objectives, and you're trying to be the first to complete three of them. The secret objectives is get someone to tell you I love you, or something like that. Or get someone to flip you off or something like that. You're trying to trick other people to play into it. But the games went super fast. I was ready to be slow, plodding, and methodical. And I'm just sitting there, you know, having a drink. But the games went super fast. And so it might have been the group. I don't know. But that, that gimmick didn't necessarily work in that, in that particular moment for me. Mm -hmm. That one's more of a, a meta game. A game that's played throughout the evening even possibly during other games. If you're playing like throughout a game night, I think that would work really well. Yeah, I, I think a, a change of scenery would be different because this was a New Year's Eve, a smaller New Year's Eve party at someone's house. And so uh, it was just a bunch of people standing and talking. So, <laughs> so it, was, it was it was easy to get someone to flip you off. <laughs> <laughs> Gimmicks can be good. Gimmicks can be bad. Gimmicks can be just okay. And Gimmicks can be just one and done. Yeah, gimmicks gimmicks can be fun. They're, <laughs> games have to be attractive somehow. Mm -hmm. 
they gotta pull you in. You're right. You, they gotta pull you in somehow. And sometimes that gimmick will stay around. And now it's time for mail time. The part of the show where we answer questions from listeners like you. In this episode, we're answering the question, what is your favorite board game component? On this, on this podcast, we've talked at length about how we love deluxified components, how we love our board games to look nice, to feel nice. And I think this is just a good time to highlight some, some of the nicer components, but also some of the sillier ones. I think my favorite component from a standard edition, not even the deluxe edition, from a standard edition is the tree from Everdell. And we've talked about it on this podcast before of is it necessary? Technically speaking, no. Have we always played it with it set up? Absolutely. <laughs> you ask the question, is it necessary? I would ask the question, is it a hindrance? Which it absolutely is. If you're playing that game with more than two players, that tree is blocking somebody's view. But it's so gorgeous <laughs> that we set it up anyway. <laughs> yeah, you need a big table where you can kind of push everything off to the side and the tree is on the edge and you can kind of sit around it like you're at a blackjack table. Where <laughs> <So, laughs> the tree's the dealer. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is probably my favorite component that's in a standard edition of a game. I don't know if I have a single favorite component. I like a lot of silly components. The first player marker from the board game Evolution is a wooden dinosaur that you pass around. And that's always fun to have in front of you and play with when it's, uh, when it's your turn to be first player. The, the plastic mechs from Scythe are really fun. They're all unique sculpts, and that's got a lot of toy factor for that game. You're moving around. You're, you're, uh, you're, I call them mechanical death buses. When oh my goodness, it's so nice that for each faction that all their figurines, their plastic figurines are unique. Oh, that is A plus, A plus, A plus component quality. I like a nice rule book. Have you ever picked up the rule book for Wingspan? It's on a nice linen paper finish. That's not necessarily a board game component, but that's just a luxury component. <laughs> I think we can agree that Stonemeyer uses some of the best paper for their uh, manuals, their, their oh, board game sure. manuals. While I don't really care for the game itself, the board game Illimat is one of Ellen's all-time favorites. She's constantly asking to... It's a, it's a little card game where you're, you're playing cards that are basically like from a standard deck of cards, just the suits are a little weird, trying to clear fields. And if you clear the field, you get what's called as a, an Ocus token. And that game comes with strange tokens. They're little gold metal pieces of a bathtub, a sailboat, a toy soldier, and then my favorite is the tooth. It's just a molar. <laughs> oh, nice. That's a, that's a fun one. I think we've actually replaced one. Ellen had a necklace charm that's a, a, a little golden rabbit head, so we play with that too. Oh, nice. Do you have any quality components uh, or goofy components you like? For, for a nice entry-level board game, you can't go wrong with Splendor and their uh, poker chips for the gems. Those are some good quality components. And so we've come to the end of another podcast. We've laughed. We've learned. We've loved. If you have any questions for us, you can reach out to us by email at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or you can join our Discord with the link below. 
You can also follow us on Instagram using the link below. And to the Brothers Murph, Happy New Year. Your days are numbered as the top board gaming brothers. 2021 may have been your year, but this is 2022, the year of board game famous. Yeah!